The Composing Tap Dance podcast is a show about the process of creating music for tap dance and tap dance for music. Some episodes will comprise of audio essays, and others will consist of conversations between myself, Jacob Thede, a composer, and my wife, Ari Thede, a tap dancer. Please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Jacob Thede. The link will be attached in the show notes. You can contribute to a subscribe what you want model and pay as little as $1 per month. You will also gain access to our inner circle, which includes unique and spontaneous perks. Chapter 3. Movement Notation While there are sources for preserving and documenting movement, there are not many clear options for memorization and disseminating notation for tap dance. Two sources are more widely known, Laban notation and Kahn notation. The former attempts to use a diagram of the human body to express how it should move over time, and the latter uses images sequentially to convey movement. Laban notation is typically used for genres like ballet and contemporary dance. Kahn notation was devised specifically for tap dance. While both are no more complex than music notation, they are vastly different and do not easily translate to how a musician understands reading music. This chapter aims to comprehensively analyze both notation systems by comparing and contrasting with modern music notation. Additionally, I propose a new form of notation for both tap dancers and musicians, which is inspired by elements of rudiments for percussion. Section 1. Laban Notation, a musician's guide. Nearing a century old, Laban Notation was created in 1928 as the written dance by Austro-Hungarian dance artist and theorist Rudolf Laban. This notation and documentation is used in many different fields, including anthropology, athletics, and physiotherapy, to record motion of the human body with accurate precision. In addition to these applications, Laban notation aids the choreographer as music notation aids the composer. This notation allows for choreographers all over the world to understand a dance from a different culture. With conventional music notation, a musician can read music by most composers, Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Ravel, Schoenberg, or genres like classical, contemporary, bop, jazz, Similarly, Laban notation provides a cross-genre method for understanding different choreographers and different cultures of choreography. This provides for not only preserving choreography through time, but also exposing different performances of choreography to different people groups. It also allows musicians to create prescribed action to potentially create a crossbreed of music and dance. To read music notation, the performer must understand pitch or prescribed action with respect to time. Pitch or prescribed action is typically represented with dualities, on or off, high or low, loud and soft. What makes Laban notation especially difficult to understand for the musician is understanding space, an element with three dimensions, with respect to time. Not only does Laban notation reflect what part of the body to move, it must also instruct where to move it in addition to when and how to move it. While this concept differs from music notation, the aim of this dance notation is to specify movement. Similar to music notation, Laban notation uses the same concepts of tempo and time signature, but incorporates vastly different values and signs for movement. 
dissimilar to music notation, Laban notation requires the performer to read from bottom top instead of left right. This is done to accurately reflect the human body by using the left and right axes to reflect the symmetry of the human body. Reading bottom to top does not represent forward or backward motion, only the quantity of time it must take to ex execute an action. A center line is constant and divides the left and right sides of the body. Distance from the center line reflects which section of the body is expressed. Less distance from the center line represents lower parts on the body, closer to the floor. More distance from the center line reflects higher parts of the body, away from the floor. The closest symbol to the center line generally represents the feet, or the, quote, supports, end quote, in Laban notation. However, there are exceptions to the feet supporting the body. Laban allows for the hands, hips, knees, and head, among many options, to support the body. For these specific instances, a sign is required for that specific body part and must be placed with respect to whichever support column. Within the standard staff, different shapes are used to represent height in combination with forward and backward motion. The eight directions consist of forward, backward, left side, right side, left forward diagonal, right forward diagonal, left backward diagonal, and right backward diagonal. An additional symbol is used but not necessarily considered a direction. Instead, it is referred to as place. While place refers to many different topics within dance, point of origin or point of destination, Laban notation uses the concept of place to mean where the performer's center of gravity is at any specific moment in time. Regarding place, Anne Hutchinson Guest, a Laban notation scholar, writes, Place is not where you were. Place is not home base or where you started. Place goes where you go all the time. This is all very fine when you have one support. But what if your support is divided? Then where is place? Place is beneath you, straight down. Place is always beneath you. Place is on the plumb line from your center of weight. Where your weight is very important and place depends on it. Indeed, no matter where, what you may be up to or down, place is above, at, or below your center of weight. The symbols for place in the other eight directions, top to bottom, are shown in Table 3.2. If you follow along in the transcript, you can see a table along with all the different symbols used for the different directions. While the symbols can be placed on a staff to designate motion for each body part, supports, legs, torso, arms, head, etc., an additional indication is required to represent height. Shading is used to represent how high, low, or at center the motion of the body part must take. A dot in the center represents middle, or at, center, place. Diagonal lines from top right to bottom left represent high, or straight up, and a fully filled in symbol represents low, or straight down. Limbs of the body also require specific depictions. Additional symbols are used to represent single hip, the knee or the thigh, ankle or lower leg, foot, shoulder, elbow, and upper arm, in addition to wrist, lower arm, and the hand.
While these symbols add complexity to the, to the notation, one can consider and compare these to the wide variety of note heads, articulations, and ornaments the musician must memorize. Limbs are used as a precursor to movement. These symbols for limbs placed before the symbol of direction to elaborate movement of the specific party, part of the body. Speci specification of which parts of limbs, including more detail on which knuckles of the hand and of the foot, elaborate on the symbols with dots, lines, and curves. Fingers, for example, use a symbol for fingers with the addition of a dot on the specific finger used. The same is applied to the feet and the toes. For duration, Laban notation uses length to define how much time a certain action must last. Music does not use length, but specific symbols for rhythm. The use of length, in, it, in contrast to music, allows for a more literal expression of time. While the length of the symbol can express precise values, a quarter note versus number of seconds, length can also be used freely to express proportion, short value versus long value. From Ann Hutchinson Guest, she says, once the basic unit is established, the whole scale of values is accordingly determined. For instance, a whole note is twice the length of a half note, and a half note twice the length of a quarter note. Music notes are not otherwise needed in the dance score. Altogether, these specifications allow basic movement to be conveyed on paper. One such example of this is found in the choreography of Ted Sean. In his piece, Three Prayers, Sean uses the Laban notation to capture three dances for choir, Jacob's Ladder, Evolution of Prayer, and Doxology. The score, interestingly, contains the Laban notation necessary to perform word descriptions, stage directions, and music notation for the works on piano. While the Laban notation serves as indications for specific movement of various body parts, Stage directions are provided and made from a bird's eye view of the stage. The two work together to represent a micro view and a macro view of the dance, respectively. Word descriptions function like performance notes for the dancer. They allow the dancer to read between the lines of the Laban notation and stage directions, similar to how a musician interprets a diamond notehead versus a triangle notehead. In the score, measures one through four instruct the dancer to move forward, alternating left and right feet at a steady quarter note rhythm. The arms move parallel to one another in measures one and two. Beginning at place high on beat one of measure one, the arms move to place forward center on beats two and three. On beat four and to beat one of measure two, the arms move to place low. Then on beats two and three of measure two, the arms move to side low. Measures three and four then use the arms in alternation. First, the right arm moves forward center to diagonal center in measure three. Then the left arm moves differently by taking four beats to move from side low, forward center, diagonal center, and finally place center. Section two, Laban notation as prescriptive notation for composers. Laban notation serves to be useful for tap dance by specifying where and how the body should move while performing specific rhythms and rudiments. For musicians and composers, learning Laban notation allows for clear instructions of various prescribed notation. Donald Byrd defines prescriptive notation as, quote, something that describes the actions the performer should take rather than the sounds they are to produce, end quote. With the increased use of motion sensing hardware and software, 
Composers can use Lebon notation to trigger and process electronic samples. To demonstrate research and experiment with the possibilities of Lebon notation as medium for music composition, I've composed a piece for two performers. In my work, some on or without hands, the dancers, musicians, move through their feet along an ampl amplified piece of wood. The contact microphones can be processed through various effect pedals, plugins, and additional software so that every single movement made on the wood is amplified. By specifying which parts of the foot moves, different timbres emerge. Measures 1 through 12 instruct the two players to alternate between sliding the nail of their big toes along the wood to create a white noise-like scrape sound. Time is expressed as one tick equaling one sound. In this example, each measure is four seconds. The, two amount, the total amount of time to perform this excerpt would be approximately 48 seconds. Measures one and two instruct dancer one to slide their foot to the side for four seconds and then back to place for another four seconds. Measures three and four instruct dancer two to do the same motion. The performer's sound is hard panned left and right in an attempt to match what the audience sees. Lebon notation allows for this prescription instruction to be conveyed effortlessly. The simplicity of the notation guides the performer to create actions which make sound. This next five minutes, I will play the remainder of my piece entitled Son Mon for two performers and electronics.
Section 3, Connotation, A Musician's Guide. Connotation was invented and named after Stanley Kahn in the 1950s. While the notation is widely known amongst dancers, there is very little research published regarding the topic. A resource that is published and peer-reviewed contains a chapter dedicated to Stanley Kahn writing about his creation. On March 1, 1951, Kahn filed his newly created Kahn notation for copyright with the United States Copyright Office. In his chapter discussing his notation, he writes, The concept originated in my finding it necessary to precisely express a rhythm as well as a movement. Thus, a sound sequence as well as a figuration. So, the very first symbols showed the back and forth movement of the leg executing a shuffle. I realized that the letters of the alphabet express sounds, and that with only 26 letters, an amazing amount of literature has been preserved over the centuries. Similarly, music notation involving only 12 notes of the tempered scale has allowed composers to write millions of melodies, simple and complex, for the inspiration and edification of the world. Kahn developed symbols for more than 82 gestures. The frequent use of connotation by tap dancers eventually motivated Matthew Doherty, Sam Katz, and Sam Weber to create and propose an encoded version of the symbols for connotation in music XML format. Additionally, Kahn developed unique ornamentations that would slightly change the meaning of the gesture. He alludes this to how an exponent might change how a number is conveyed, how the meaning of a three changes when it is cubed. In tap, connotation can use the symbol for a tap, a check mark, and be modified by a heel beat symbol, an O, to mean a heel tap, or a check mark with an O superscript. An example of a notated score in connotation uses the simple numbers and characters for denoting rhythm, i.e. 1, 2, 3, 4, or 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. The benefits of the system allow for extremely precise prescriptive notation for the tap dancer. It also allows the choreographer to notate the movement of the body while performing the exact steps. In figure 3.4, the third row expo expresses information for direction on stage and motion. For the musician, connotation is difficult because the wide variety of symbols that donate the plethora of sounds. It can be compared to the infinite number of ways a cellist might create a sound on their instrument. From the wide variety of methods of bowing string instruments, there are a handful of categories. On the string, off the string, multiple string bowing or tone effect bowings. From the on the string bowings, the string player can play detaché, legato, martel, staccato, tremolo, slurred, loré or portato, and circular bowing. Off the string bowings include spiccato, tapping stroke, very fast spiccato, jeté, ricochet, and saltando. Multiple string bowings and tone effect bowings include sol ponticello, sol tosto, flotando, coleño, pizzicato, snap pizzicato, left hand pizzicato, and many more. From this preliminary list, taken from Sam Adler's study of orchest orchestration, there are 22 different ways to symbolize tone production on the instrument. Rather than creating unique symbols for each of these tones, music notation simplifies and notates the sounding pitch and then just elaborates with either information via text or unique symbol. My proposal for tap dance notation is a similar method, simplifying the described rhythm while elaborating further information via text or a unique symbol. While there is no perfect method to notating tap dance, contemporary music, or any time-based art, 
I believe simplification serves to highlight the more important aspects of a documented work. In Miego Kano's article on prescriptive not notation, Kano notes the inherent difficulty of notating contemporary music, which often, quote, highlights difficulties implicit in the notation system generally. Despite these inherent implicit difficulties, no documentation can capture all intents of the creator. Similar to how a performer might research or communicate with a composer, the only real way to ultimately understand and recreate a work is through conversing with the original creator. In conjunction with creating a simplified version of tap dance notation, the composer, choreographer, artist must converse and communicate their intentions by a wide variety of means. Section four, other forms of dance notation. In 1952, Morton Gould wrote his composition, Tap Dance Concerto for Danny Daniels. The work was later premiered by the Eastman Orchestra in Rochester, New York. This work is a glimpse of how tap dance might be played in a contemporary classical setting. The work is orchestrated for two flutes, one on piccolo, two oboes, two B-flat clarinets, two bassoons, four horns in F, two B-flat trumpets, two trombones, timpani, and strings. Despite a moderate instrumentation, the aural, aural effect of the concerto is comparable to a chamber symphony. It could be speculated that the lack of non-pitched percussion section, snare drum, bass drum, cymbals, etc., was intentional to highlight the percussive nature of the tap dance soloist. The method for notating is simplified to solely the rhythmic instruction by Martin Gould. The performance notes indicate that each of the tap dance patterns can be changed and embellished, but ultimately must adhere to the original rhythmic design so that the work can have a sort of organized and formal consistency. The concerto also has a movement dedicated to pantomime, the act of expressing meaning through gestures. The performance notes allow the performer to have liberty choreographing a dreamlike or imaginative satire where the steps are suggested and not audible. Gould does note that the size of the orchestra is intentional in order to accommodate the potential choreography a tap dancer might include. He states that, quote, the soloist can use the front of the stage or where such facilities exist, the stage apron, end quote. The notation of the tap dancer's part is depicted by a traditional five-line staff with no indication of a clef. Overall, the notation of the tap dancer is much simpler compared to the rest of the orchestra members. Throughout the concerto, the soloist is simply required to sound the rhythms composed. The entrance of the dancer requires the performance of triplets, but by any means necessary. Section 5. Simplified Notation for Tap Dancers the building blocks of tap dance can be summarized by the basic elements of the tap dancer's foot, the heel and the toe. The following are terms that use the heel and toe in various contexts. Each term has a specific symbol, letter, associated with it. By placing each symbol under the notated rhythm, the tap dancer might easily know how to step that particular rhythm. This is similar to how percussionists use the letters R and L to denote which hand to strike the instrument. However, unlike percussionists, this symbol of notation will not use capitalization to emphasize any accents. Where percussionists might use a lowercase r for an unaccented right-hand note and a capital R for an accented right-handed note, the tap dancer will rely on the consistency of the capital letter and simply note any changes in articulation symbols above or below the note head. Ari and myself have used 10 symbols and 10 
basic definitions of toe and heel motions to characterize different elements of tap dance. The first is the step, and it's sometimes called the touch. It uses the S as a symbol and is defined by the toe alone contacting the floor and remaining in place. The second is the dig. It uses the D as a symbol and is defined as the heel alone contacting the floor and remaining in place. The third is the toe drop. It uses the letter T and is defined as with the heel already on the floor, the toe then falls to the floor. The fourth is the heel drop. It's the opposite of the toe drop. It uses the letter H and is defined as with the toe already on the floor, the heel then falls to the floor. The fifth is the brush or the spank. It uses the letter B. It's defined as the toe alone contacting the floor and going outward. The sixth is the scuff. It uses the C as a symbol and the heel alone contacting the floor and going outward is his definition. The seventh is the toe knock. It uses the letter K as a symbol and is defined as the tip of the toe alone contacting the floor. The eighth is the stomp. It uses the letter P as a symbol and is defined as the toe and the heel simultaneously contacting the floor. The ninth is called the slap. It uses the letter W and is defined as the toe alone making a whip-like motion to the floor, similar to the step or the touch, but whipping instead of dropping. And then last but not least is the flam. It uses the letter F and is defined as the outside of both the toe and heel making this near sim simultaneous contact with the floor, similar to a percussion flam. While there are many iterations and combinations of the toe and heel, these terms serve as building blocks for any tap dancer at any level of experience. By combining the basics of the toe and heel with various groupings or rudiments, the tap dancer might associate these patterns in music and better communicate with composers. Section 6, Rudiments for Tap Dancers. Rudiments can be defined simply as patterns of different strokes between left and right hands for percussionists. Documentation and use of such patterns can be found as late as the 15th century by Swiss military ordinances. Alternations between hands not only allow for unique patterns and rhythmic nuances, but also better ease of performing for the percussionist. As Raymond Mayer defines rudiments, he says, quote, the rudiments are simply the means by which the percussionist can develop greater proficiency on the snare drum. If the full value of the rudiments is to be realized, they must not be viewed as existing apart from soul in an ensemble literature, but as the rhythmic elements of mo or motifs on which all snare drum literature is based. End quote. By breaking down the basic elements of tap dance, a notation similar to the indications of percussion rudiments can be devised to share common ground between the musician and tap dancer. The primary goal of this organization of notation is for the tap dancer to see rhythms grouped with specific rudiments and then recreate it accordingly. There are common rudiments with many different vernacular names used in tap dance. Some rudiments require only one foot and others require both. The paradiddle will be used as an example of a rudiment using only one foot. The paradiddle consists of four different toe and heel motions as described above. These are the dig, the brush, the step, and the heel. The symbols used for these steps are D, B, S, and H respectively. Thus, the paradiddle will be recognized by the sequence of symbols for the rudiment D, B, S, H. This rudiment can be used in any rhythmic fashion, 
For further elaboration, a line and label indication can be added, especially for more rhythmically complex passages. Even further, the two legs of a tap dancer performing the rudiment can be re represented on the musical staff with two separate staves, indicating left foot and right foot respectively. While these two separate staves are not necessary, it can aid in elaboration for the tap dancer. Otherwise, with the use of one staff, the composer must collaborate with the tap dancer on which foot a specific rudiment must be performed on. The cramp roll is an additional rudiment commonly used by tap dancers. The toe and heel motions used for the specific rudiment are step, step, heel, drop, heel, drop. The symbols used for these steps consist of SSHH, or step, step, heel, drop, heel, drop. For this rudiment, the reverse can be used to create a reverse cramp roll by reversing the order with the heels first, then the toes, DDTT. Unlike the paradiddle, this step requires both feet alternating in step. If using a single staff, it is recommended that the composer indicate which foot the cramp roll will begin on. For more complex rudiments, particularly involving brushes, an indication of direction might be required. Rudiments like brushes and wings are also unique because of their implication of rhythm. The brush can be further understood by watching Bill Bojangles Robinson perform them in syncopated 16th notes in his choreography to King for a Day. Typically, the brush requires a back and forth motion with a single foot. An example could be where the tap dancer performs brushes with the right foot alone. The weight must be placed on the left foot while the right foot brushes the, with the toe. The motion can either begin outward or inward, followed by motion in the other direction. With respect to place, as we've just discussed, the center of weight, wings require the tap dancer to brush outward, brush inward, and then step. The sequence would look like BBS. Because the rudiment is grouped by three basic terms, it can be used in pickups to a measure, and a one, for example. I've created a simplified list of commonly used rudiments. These are the paradiddle, the cramp roll, reverse cramp roll, the crawl, shuffle, wing, and shuffle step heel. These can be found in the transcript to this document. I also provide a transcription of an etude by Anthony Marigerato. A transcription of an etude by Anthony Marigerato is provided in Appendix 2 of this document, applying the system of notation. I've also attached a link in the, the show notes so you can watch it and better understand how the movement and notation works together. Section 7, Conclusions. This proposal for tap dance notation serves as a foundational pedagogy for those introduced to the composer-choreographer collaboration. By better understanding the pre-existing methods of notation, the composer might be able to better document and express their ideas with the choreographer and tap dancer. Traditional music notation, Laban notation, con notation, as well as other forms of prescriptive and descriptive notation, serve as means to express action, sound, rhythm, and even space. More specifically, it allows the composer to better understand and communicate with the tra trained dancer in a variety of styles.